Welcome to the Evidence-Based Chiropractor, where each week we deliver the latest chiropractic research and marketing strategies, all in the time it takes to get to your office. Now here's your host, Dr. Jeff Langmaid. Hello and welcome to the Evidence-Based Chiropractor. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Langmaid. And on today's episode, I have an awesome interview with Dr. Yvonne Chong. This is the farthest interview I have ever done. She was taking this interview from Malaysia. I was sitting in my office here in Tampa, Florida, and it's an, it's a fantastic interview. We break down clinical topics like tendinopathy. We talk about how she's become involved with the speed skating team on Team China, the cultural differences, her journey, and much, much more. This episode is jam packed. And before we get started, I want to say a few words about our sponsor, Jane. What's in a name you ask? Everything. Meet Jane, the only name you'll need to remember in the HR world. Jane's HIPAA compliant. It's an online platform providing clinical management capabilities, things like booking, charting, scheduling, telehealth, and invoicing. It's all easy in Jane. You can learn more and watch a demo by heading over to jane.app slash Cairo. Again, that's jane.app slash Cairo. And if you want a 30-day grace period to get started, use the code EVIDENCEBASE2021. Without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Yvonne Chong. How did you get either, which one came first, a passion for speed skating or involvement in Team China? Which which, which of those two came first? <laughs> Actually, none of, none of those. Um, so. <laughs> How I go about um, getting that job was quite interesting. So one of my friends actually uh, was talking about this job in sports, like how, you know, we were starting this conversation about like how Cairo really, you know, are not being um, being a very primary option to work in sports team is always a physio. It was the exact same thing that I just told you just then. And then um, we stumbled upon this uh, job ad um, online and said, hey, Team China is looking for physiotherapy to, um, you know, to work with national team sports. So we were like, you know, the requirement was a master's, master's degree, a few years in experience and a few other, you know, other things. So I just say, hey, what the heck, we just apply for it, you know. And little did we know, like we, our in initial intention was like, we're probably not going to get it because we're chiros, we're not physio. But for, for Chinese people, they, they don't know the difference. <laughs> So um, they don't quite know, like they don't have the distinction. They, they yep. just physical therapists there. Uh, so they do, do them all. Um, yeah, so little did we know we both got the job. And then, um, yeah, that, that's where our adventure starts. So, so once we get that job, we, you know, we get to China, we get to the company, and then they assign us to different sports. So um, obviously they asked us about our, our sports preferences. But they never follow them, so um, so they just sent us to whatever sports team that required a physical physical therapist per se. Um, uh, yeah, so we um, we got this job without them understanding what chiropractic is. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, so I got assigned to speed skating, and I'm glad that the um, the coaches there they are mostly. Uh, from Canada and from um, from the Netherlands, so they understand mm. the distinction: chiro versus physio versus TCM, the traditional Chinese medicine. Um, yeah, so like we were great from there. Um, yeah, so that's how I started, you know, working with the speed skating. I, like I had to admit that I didn't I didn't really know much about the sport when I first got that job. So I actually, actually had to learn. Um, what it is and the nature of the sport, injury pattern and things like that. So 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm growing to like that sport very much. I can imagine. So that's super cool. When you started working with team China, I guess being working in a, working in a different country, I mean, was that like intimidating? Was it not intimidating? Was everybody super accommodating? What was the process as you got up and running? Um, like traditionally speaking, China, Chinese, uh, the, the country, China, it's, it's very, in a way, communism, it, mm-hmm. like, you know, fundamentally speaking. So people have the perception of, you know, they're very um, closed out. They're, they're not as modern, you know, they, people have stereotypically, like stereotypical thinking about what Chinese people are. Um, for me, because, um, because I was born and raised in Malaysia and um, I have a Chinese heritage, I thought I, I thought like, you know, it wouldn't be a cultural barrier. Like it wouldn't be a tough thing to, um, to adapt to because, hey, I'm Chinese in nature. Yep. But little that I know, um, yeah, the Chinese in China are really quite different culturally, culturally mm. uh, language. And also, um, yeah, the way they practice also is, is very different. So I had like, I had a tough six months about adapting to it. Um, yeah, because I, I just couldn't understand what they say. Uh, I thought I could, but yeah, no. So yeah, it took me six months to start to grasp what they, what you know, what how they work culturally and how they do things. So it was a, it was an adventure. I would say it was quite an adventure, but yeah. I cannot, I cannot imagine. So as you started to get, as you've gotten comfortable, what's been, what's a day, what's like the, a day in the life? Walk, walk everybody through, walk me through. What's it like when, you know, you're, you're, you're training with the team for the, the day, you're taking care of the team. When's the day start? When's the day kind of end? What are you looking for? What goes on a, a day working with Team China? Right. Um, so I can't say for other sport, but for speed skating, uh, Team China speed skating specifically speaking, long track that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the practice, normally they do two sessions of practice per day. Each session probably lasts around two hours. Yeah. Um, so as a full-time, um, almost like a full-time physical therapist or medical staff, in China, there's no distinction again. So yeah, they just know that you're the person to go to when there's anything medically related. Yep. Right. So yeah, so they start uh, practicing in the morning, usually at 9 a.m. So I'll be there in the practice sitting in a rink while they're doing their warm-ups um, and then go on ice. So sometimes I'll assist them with um, their warm-up based on um, the individualized prehab program that I gave them. So they normally use that um, as, you know, some uh, like incorporated in, into their warm-up routine, some of them. So I assist them with them, like with that. And, and then um, two hours after when practice are over and we head back for lunch. So Chinese athletes normally take naps after lunch. It's, it's, almost, um, it's almost like every Chinese athlete that I've talked to do swear by taking naps because they think that like, you know, that hour and hour and a half nap after lunch is crucial, you know, to give them energy to practice the second sessions, right? So, yeah, so um, they take naps and then normally I just um, go about doing my own thing in that hour or so. Then normally three o'clock comes, normally three o'clock. That's where the second practice uh, starts. Um, normally they do one ice session per day, meaning they skate 
on ice um, once per day. And then the remaining session is on land, well, whether strength training or uh, skating related um, drills on dry land. And um, I normally do the same, uh, assisting with prehab. And uh, if there's any injured athlete, I'll take them separately to the gym and um, run the rehab routine or rehab um, session with them separately. Um, yeah, and then after that, uh, they'll go home for dinner. I'll do the same, we'll have dinner together. And um, after dinner, that's where night treatment starts. That's where most of them will have their uh, manual therapy done. That's where I'll, I'll be the most busy. Gotcha, and okay. Then, yeah, and then after that's the end of the day. That sounds like a full day. When you're when you're at the facility or, or even at, at nighttime, do you do a lot of sort of low-tech rehab? Is there a huge gym? What's the, what's the work environment like? What's the practice environment like? Um, it depends on where we, um, where we are actually. So sometimes like we oftentimes do, uh, training camps. Um, so almost half a year we'll do our training camps in Canada. So we spend almost six months in Canada. And oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So, so it depends on where we are, but nighttime, like after dinner, it's normally, uh, the time is reserved for manual treatment. Like, um, so we just either, either the athlete would go to the massage therapist or if they have any existing injury, I'll do more um, uh, either adjustments or any form of other modalities like um, soft tissue work or ART, you know, fascia, fascia, a bit of fascia training mm -hmm. or fascia uh, stretching, some of them. Um, yeah, so, but the, normally those uh, rehab and prehab work um, for like severely injured athlete where they can't really participate in normal training. That's where I do them during uh, the training time. Like, okay. um, so just to get the team, you know, working at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Th that makes sense. And what are the most, what are some of the more common injuries and challenges that you see the athletes having? So for speed skating, um, for those that are not familiar with speed skating, so the athlete requires to be in a, stoop position, so almost like um, a flex position for a long time. Okay. So their training um, involves obviously skating and also cycling. Cycling is a big part of um, a big part of training in speed skating, especially for those mid distance. For shorter distance um, athlete, it's probably less common, but they still do. So you can imagine there's a, you know, a big chunk of time that athletes spend in lumbar flexion, like a prolonged sustained flexion. So um, for those athletes that do not have a good uh, motor control, lumbar pelvic motor control, especially, you, I do see a lot of um, this pathology, okay. uh, whether it's this gouge or herniation or like just, you know, uh, annular irritation yeah it goes from there so quite often we get low back pain as the main uh complaint as okay. well as um patellar issues like kneecap issues okay is it and is are the patella issues um as a non-sport specific doc myself are they like tracking issues are they overuse issues how, how what do you more commonly see um, it's, it's always a combination of all of them, I, I have to say. So tracking, tracking issues to me, it's, it's always, um, a symptom of an underlying problem, whether mm. you have a, you know, um, 
a weak kinetic chain, a weak posterior chain, for example, um, yep. making your quads maybe um, to overload it and hence tracking issues. That could be one of them. Second, second, secondly, it could be, um, you know, basically your core is not strong and it affects your lower limb, how you position your uh, pelvis, things like that. So um, uh, tracking uh, to me, it's a, a symptom, but what I see most is uh, patellar tendinopathy, which um, a lot of, which, you know, can't be completely solved by manual therapy. It provides some relief for sure, but it's because the demand um, for muscle loading, for tendon loading is so high in athletic performance, uh, there's no way that we can solve patellar tendon issue without proper rehab and training. So that's what I find most common. That's where I had to learn from scratch as well. Um, yeah, initially I, initially I was struggling with getting a good outcomes with that, but after doing some research reading and asking the appropriate people, yeah, I do, um, yeah, I finally understand the, the issue a little bit more. So I'll say patellar tendinopathy, it's quite common and also um, low back pain. Yep. So, so walk, uh, you, I'll, you can choose either one, kind of walk me through, um, how do you case manage that? Whether it's a disc injury, whether it's a patella injury, how do you think about it? What are some of your go-to modalities? I guess what's, what, what's kind of your treatment paradigm in general? I know everybody's a little bit different, but how do you, how do you envision those and what do you typically use to help people get, get well and, and get back to full function? Right. Um, I'll probably go with uh, patellar tendinopathy because it's, it's quite like, um, yeah, because um, that's the issue that needed a bit more comprehensive uh, management plan. Um, so to, to first identify to first identify the problem, um, we first have to kind of know the symptoms. Initially, I was struggling with that. I just thought, hey, it's a tracking symptoms. I just release a quad, strengthen some BMO, then that's, you know, there you go. Uh, little did I know that's, you know, that's not it. It's, it's really way more to that. Um, so uh, first of all, we need to recognize the symptom. For me, it takes, it takes a while. So the symptom goes with, normally it's pain that creeps in with time. So initially when you start the activity, it's normally fine. And then after say a minute or two, that's where the pain intensifies. So for skaters, um, oftentimes they will complain about, hey, my knees just buckle after you know a minute of um skating i just mm. you know that like some of them had really pain like high pain threshold they just are like there's no pain but my knees just buckle right so the you know normally tendinopathy it, it should present with some pain right but for skaters some of the skaters no pain they just literally buckle and you, you see the ball on ice interesting um, yeah, so that, that was something that, you know, was interesting for me too. And yeah, and then you investigate. So initially we start with treatment and, you know, it, it is when, you know, multiple treatment doesn't work, doesn't even give any change to the symptom. That's where we kind of go, okay, we get to be a bit more specific to, um, you know, to the diagnosis. And normally when that happens, um, I'll start with a isometric training, uh, the first phase of um, the rehab, I'll say. I'll, I'll normally start with isometric training because um, it has been proven to pro provide some analgesic effect. Now, although some of the skaters don't present with pain, but some still do. Mm -hmm. um, 
even though for those that doesn't present with pain, you can see after you know a, a session of isometric, you can see them. Hey, you can actually last you know on ice for slightly longer. So it's, for me, it's a good sign that hey, you're responding to the stimulus that I'm giving you. So I'm gonna keep on doing that until your um, your ability to you know flex on ice um, or you know create a single leg infection on ice increase. Mm-hmm. So I normally start with isometric because it's um, it's not creating too much. Uh, it's creating maximum muscular uh, tension, but not creating too much um, kind of uh, compression on the joint, depending okay. on how you position it, of course. And then after when they responded to that, I'll slowly progress them to a heavy, slow, uh, resistant training, sometimes involve eccentric loading. Um, so from there, um, normally you can see their, their time on um, ice or their ability to handle loads start to increase. Then it, it is also for you um, an outcome measure. For me, it is an outcome, outcome measure that they're responding to the dosage that I'm giving them because with loading, we kind of need to know how much to load and when to load. Mm-hmm. So for me, tendon... Uh, I norm- normally load them heavy on one day and I'll, I'll give one or two days rest in between just to maximize um, the collagen resynthesis. Mm-hmm. And then um, the third day I'll load them again, but maybe with slightly different movement pattern, but still loading the same tendon. Uh, that's how in general I'll approach them. But with the issues of tendinopathy, what I'm trying to... Um, uh, what I'm trying to bring to attention is that we need to load them with weights for them to respond or for them to um, at least, um, you know, increase their ability to tolerate load. Um, just by manual therapy in itself, sure, we can do spinal adjusting, um, SI adjusting, all the adjustment. Yes, it, it does. Like we know that um, even from your podcast, like things that I've read in your or listened to your podcast, it has the ability to change uh, cortical activity or improve um, uh, sensory motor uh, coordination. So that's also important in athletic performance. So I use my adjustment in in that sense when it comes to treating patellar tendinopathy. But uh, the bulk of the treatment really comes down to how you load it and how often you load it, what you load it with. So, yeah. So in the general sense, I would say that's how I treat patellar tendinopathy. That's fantastic. Do you find that most of, and that's an interesting point that I would, I wouldn't have thought of first. So I, I thank you for sharing that. Would, do you normally see that the athletes that have that sort of tendinopathy, do they get back to a hundred percent function and then they can sort of lay off the loading? Is it a chronic condition that you know, it requires ongoing management? Is every athlete a little bit different? How have you seen that play out? So um, obviously every uh, individual are different. Some of them present uh, presented with really chronic uh, situation. So it, it comes down to uh, culture belief as well. So for some athletes, um, the way they were trained since young was that they, want, they were given this perception of pain is weakness. So you, you gotta train until you, you can tolerate the pain. That's how you get stronger. You, you know, there's this, um, as this misinformation there, but it is in, it, it is in the culture. Um, mm-hmm. 
I won't say all, but I've encountered a few Af Chinese athletes and yeah, most of them give me that feedback. And that's why some of them develop a really high pain threshold for, I, I think it's attributed to some to those cultural reasons. Um, so uh, yeah, pain, pain perception aside, um, every individual are different. So the most chronic cases, um, they still train. Some of them, they still train. Um, this is when, uh, this is when they were under their provincial team. They're not in the national team yet. Those people progress to the national team once they did a selection competition, right? Um, so they were they were they were very used to training um, in pain until to the point where they they okay with that. So some of them still training high, like a really high volume and high load, um, to the point you know where sometimes they buckle. That's where they stop. But they never they never address the underlying issue and find out hey you know how I can be better and not buckle and fall on ice. Yep. They just think I'll I'll train you know, to the point where I can't, you know, that's, that's the best I can do. Um, yeah, so I do see some very chronic cases. Those people, it's, um, it's, it's rather hard because it's hard. The hardest part was to get them to stop training for a little bit because mm -hmm. you, you can't just keep irritating the tendon, yep. um, you know, before you make it stronger, right? So the hardest part was to pull them way and say hey there's alternative training that you can do um you know being away from, from ice training for a little while is not going to make you weak so it's developing that understanding and letting them understand that concept is, is the hardest so sometimes i do struggle with um you know with that so we we kind of have to just do our best really um and yeah sometimes the prognosis can take longer in, in such cases. So it might take months, maybe two to three months. But for those people um, that, you know, they, that, that are in my group that has been training in Canada in different camps um, since 2018, so they understand the concept a little bit. So it's easier to work with. And, you know, and the coaches are, um, are really accommodating and say, hey, uh, that's fine. You should, don't have to train on ice. Here's an alternative training. Do things that doesn't hurt. So oftentimes we we'll work with strength coaches and the and the um, ice skating coaches to to come up with a plan. You know to maintain their fitness and maintain um, you know their muscular strength so that they don't lose too much from not you know being able to go on ice. But at the same time, be able to do rehab training. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for those people, the prognosis is uh, a lot better I would say so yeah I probably veer off a little bit but I guess uh, I'd probably touch a little yeah, bit I, no, I, I, yeah I, I, I get it I get it and as the as those as the athletes get back to full strength one thing I'd love to touch on uh, before we close is understanding how in the athletic world that you're a part of do you take care of asymptomatic athletes? Do they look towards your care for a performance edge in addition to the rehab care? Is that sort of separated out? What's been your experience with the with Team China and, and the speed skating team in terms of uh, what I guess what I'll call like proactive chiropractic care? Is that a thing or is it mostly based upon rehab? Um, initially, it's hard to just just be the chiropractor and just go, hey, um, 
I'm going to check your spine alignment. I'm going to check your, um, I'm going to check, you know, your movement, your range of motion, and I'm going to adjust your spine. And then you go to your physio or all the other stuff. Like initially it was hard for me to do that because they, first of all, they don't have chiropractors in, in um, China and majority of their um, like traditional Chinese medicine people, they do, they do um, adjust or spinal manipulation. In okay. So it, it's hard for me to kind of go like this, this is, uh, this is chiropractic and this is that. Like it's hard right, for right. Me to, like, to make that distinction. So I had to play a lot of roles. Um, so what, whatever is needed for me to do, I do it, you know, medically speaking or like when it comes to physical health anyway. Uh, and then after a while, I tried to educate them as to, hey, spinal manipulation, it doesn't just, you know, increase your range of motion. It also does, you know, give you a better sense of response. You know, so I often try with, um, say, lower limb or upper limb reflexes, right? I do yeah. pre and post um, sort of outcome measure to, to your reflex. I mean, it's not the most accurate, but it's something that they, they can see and go, oh, hey, my reflex actually changes. Uh, for us, it, it, you, we know that's 50-50, like it changes, you know, can, can do to like, you know, you stretch your muscle spindle a little bit more, more yep. but I'm just that trick to kind of show it to them, hey, um, you know, this is, there's more to spinal adjustment than, than, you know, giving you a relief or the sound that you want to hear. Yep. Um, so I do tend to ed educate them because um, I, I think it's important. So for the group that I con consistently work with, the national team, that I, team A that I consistently work with, they do understand the concept. They normally come to me when they when their body kind of knows, hey, sample and adjustment. I, I think I'll, I'll check my, maybe check my uh, lower back today or check my uh, thoracic today. They will come, they will, they will have their, that awareness but for other teams that I um, just sporadically work with, like in a short period of time, they, they don't understand that. Um, yeah, so it, it really takes time. Um, yep. And yeah, it takes time and education for them to understand what chiropractic is, to be honest. And that's my interview with Dr. Yvonne Chong. Before we close today, if you're looking to get factory direct pricing for your braces, tens units, and more, check out Shield at supersecretsales.com/ebc. Dr. Stephen Brown's a great guy. He was on this podcast, and he's offering you a complimentary Shield tens and Eastim unit plus free shipping for your first order. Fast shipping, factory direct pricing, and a great selection of products are available for you right now at supersecretsales.com/ebc. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Evidence-Based Chiropractor. If you want to grow your practice, come back for next week's episode. If you want to grow faster, visit theevidencebasedchiropractor.com and join our MD Marketing membership today.